You are listening to Investing Matters, brought to you in association with London Southeast. This is the show that provides informative, educational, and entertaining content from the world of investing. We do not give advice, so please do your own research. Hello, and welcome to this Investing Matters podcast. Today, I have the huge privilege of speaking with a fund manager from the Polar Capital Technology Fund team. Um, Fatima Yu. Hello, Fatima. How are you? Very well, thank you, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you ever so much for coming on this Investing Matters podcast with me. Uh, I'm conscious that you're on the bright lights shining within the Polar Capital team. Um, I want you to start, if I may, because you guys, ladies and gents of the team, recently won an Investment Week Specialist Award for the Polar Capital Trust. Yeah, Technology Trust. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. It's a huge privilege. Thank you. I want to start our conversation, if I may, because you grew up in Macau and your family moved to the UK, um, Kent to be precise, um, when you around the time of when you were a teenager and you moved to London for university. You read chemistry at Imperial College London and you had a particular interest and focus at the time on medical applications such as diagnostics. Am I right in thinking then? Fatima, that you always planned on having a career in science? And if so, what happened halfway through your master's that altered your career path? Yeah, Peter, you're absolutely right. I think that um, I always thought of myself as more of a science and technology person. I mean, that's those were the subjects that I was the most interested in. Um, those were the subjects I, that I was the best at. Um, so I had quite naturally assumed that that's what I would want to do for a living um, when I left university. Um, but having spent four years at Imperial College, including time doing my master's with a research group um, and also the privilege of working at hospitals such as St. Mary's to do um, work experience with, with um, medical researchers, it just occurred to me that that might not have been the life that I, I, I thought um, I would want, and and nothing wrong with that. You know, I still have huge respect for people who who are in that field. But what I was finding was that it was almost a moment of, wait a minute, this is the only thing I ever thought about. Is this really the right thing for me? So it just felt like the right time to to pause um, and have a bit of a rethink. To be honest, so nothing nothing went wrong per se, but it just felt that I had been very very single minded um, about doing one thing and one thing only. In, invariably, I think everything went right because you, you, you've decided on this path. So fantastic for everyone. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's really by luck that I got into technology investing. Um, so when I left university, after having decided that I needed to think about an alternative path or at least investigate alternative paths, um, I decided to go into accountancy just as a way to learn a little bit about business and finance. Um, and I was exposed to a range of really interesting clients from metals and futures trading to fund management. And fund management was the thing that really kind of picked my interest. And I felt that with my background in research would potentially be, be a good fit, uh, which was when I started thinking more seriously about a career in fund management. I was very lucky in that I managed to get a job at Citigroup Asset Management. Um, at the time, I was really focusing more on European companies in both the consumer 
staples and consumer discretionary areas. Um, unfortunately, though, the, the, the division was sold to Leg Mason um, quite soon after I joined. So I was um, on the hunt for another job again. And luckily, Ben here at Polar, Ben Rogoff, who's the lead manager of the Investment Trust, Technology Investment Trust, was looking for a junior at the time. They were just looking for someone who was young and hungry and, and wanted to learn, and, and I fitted the bill. So here I am. But once I started, you know, having said that it wasn't a path that I was deliberately trying to go down, uh, once I started, it just felt like a very, very natural fit. It combined my my kind of relatively newfound interest in investing with my first love, which was science and technology. Personally, much like yourself, I'm a believer in serendipity and it was meant to be, I believe. Yes, I think so. So, so I, I want to ask now, um, obviously you're part of a, a, a huge team. Um, please can you share with our Investing Matters global audience an overview of Polar Capital its sheer scale and some of its functions and services, please. Sure. So Polar Capital, uh, we are a specialist investment-led asset manager founded in 2001. I think the core principle, one of the founding principles really, is to ensure that the interests of the fund managers are as closely aligned as with that of our investors as possible. And as a result of that, some of our funds might have more limited capacity in order to allow us the, the flexibility and agility to, to get to, to, to provide the best performance as we possibly can. Um, and since then, the company has grown its, its number of investment teams and range of funds. Um, and today we have 15 investment teams and that number changes all the time. Um, and and a, a number of funds across long only and hedge funds as well as three investment trusts. Thank, thank you very much. I'd like to focus now, if I may, on the three products that you are involved in with, with your team, um, within the team of eight um, and your specialist colleagues that you work with um, regarding the Polar Capital Technology Trust, which is listed on the London Stock Exchange, and the Global Technology Fund, and also the new um, automation and AI fund, which is an open-ended product, um, which between them, I believe, has got around 8.5 billion on the, on the assets uh, on the management, um, headed by Nick Evans and Ben Rogoff. Um, firstly, I'd like to ask you if you could share the team's analytical methodology and the process undertaken by you and the team by when you're selecting your long-term holdings for these three specialist products, please. So, yeah, so on the technology team, we run three products today, and I think we are the biggest team within Polar in AUM terms today. The three products we run are the... Technology Trust, the Polar Capital Technology Trust, which is listed on the London Stock Exchange here. Um, a global technology fund, which is a, an open-ended usage product. Um, and our last but not least, our latest edition, the Automation and AI Fund, which is also a, um, an open-ended product. Now, the, the first two, the Technology Trust and the Global Tech Fund, I would call, um, I would say, are more classical technology products, if you like, whereas the automation and AI fund is really more of a global growth equity product um, where, uh, whereby our universe is, is really much broader than just technology. So now focusing in on the core philosophy, now the three funds, they, they are different, they do have different characteristics um, and they have different lead managers. 
but we do call, share the same core philosophy around how we think about technology and technology assets, how we think about valuations, and, and how we think about investments. So within the technology trust, I would say that the way we think about it is this. Well, first of all, um, I have to say that there are lots and lots of different ways to invest, and there are lots and lots of different ways to invest in technology. If you look across our peer group, you will see that some of our peers are much more value-oriented, some are much more growth-oriented, and anything in between. I would say that we are probably, we are on the growth side, absolutely. We are growth-centric investors, but we do have valuation discipline. We do care about um, what price we, we, we invest uh, into stocks at. So having said that, where are we the most different? I would say that it is our obsession with the adoption S-curve. That is really what we are very, very focused on. Um, if you can, if I could sort of ask you to imagine having this S-curve that, that kind of um, starts low on the left-hand side and then accelerates, that steepens, um, and then sort of levels out on the right-hand side as and when adoption reaches a certain point. That's the kind of technology S-curve that we talk about. On the far left, we're filled with, we, we're talking about very early stage technologies, blue sky, very exciting stuff that we, we read about, tend to read about a lot in the press, um, where a lot of hype happens. We do work on all of those technologies, but we tend not to get involved. Equally on the far right, where we have more mature technologies, where things are well understood, they're not perhaps the most exciting, but are things that people find in their everyday lives, they use all the time, they perhaps take for granted. These are important technologies, um, but they are not necessarily good investment because, well, for lots of different reasons, but primarily that technology is very deflationary. So once unit growth slows, it's very hard to maintain um, your top line growth. And we can sort of talk about that in more detail if, if you're interested. So we try to pick our battles. We really try to focus in the middle section where we feel that technologies are about to take off, where adoption and growth is about to accelerate um, the steepest part of this S-curve, if you like, um, because this is where we feel we can deliver the most alpha. Uh, this is typically where expectations, uh, companies are able to exceed expectations both on the growth and the operating leverage side. So this is I would say where we are the most different probably from some of the other technology products you find out there. Excellent, I love that reply, thank you. Could you share some examples of recent companies that you found at the steepest part of the S-curve for us, please? Mm. Well, I don't know if we, if I'm allowed to go into specific companies. Actually, oh, I'll, I'll give you sort of examples of both companies that do inflect, we call it sort of an inflection, if you like. Um, where growth rate suddenly accelerates from, from A to, to A plus 10, let's say. Um, and there are examples, plenty of examples where, where things don't inflect. So I'll give you examples of where things have inflected. So electric vehicles, for example, that technology has been around for a very long time, um, very, very long time. And we've been watching its development, you know, we've been watching Tesla stocks, listening to what, what, um, Elon Musk talks about in, in the press and, and looking at the cars. And, and really, there were a lot of skepticism around whether it's going to become mass market. Uh, in fact, even companies that are 
um, incumbents, if you like, in the automotive sector. I'm talking about semiconductor companies primarily that, that are um, big in, in, in the automotive market. Many of them have been very skeptical uh, around the pace of electric vehicle adoption. And yet, for lots of different reasons, um, when different things come together, the, the adoption rate accelerated. Um, and I we believe that we are still going through quite a steep, the, the, the steeper part of the adoption curve, if you like. If you look at the penetration rates of electric vehicles as a percentage of new sales uh, and the install base in Europe, in US, in China, um, we believe there is still plenty of room um, for companies that are exposed to this vertical to grow. So that's one example. Now, the flip side, I would say, would be something like 3D printing. Very, very cool technology. Um, but in volume terms, the, it just never really inflected. You know, they, they never really, the market never really expanded enough to enable a much faster growth rate. So it's a sector, it's, it's a product that, that we know well, it's a technology that we know well and have been following for years, but we are not exposed to it today because there is no inflection happening in that market. That almost runs seamlessly to my, to my next question, and thank you for that reply. With regards to what triggers the team to review a long-term holding or, an, or a holding regarding a reduction or an exit of that particular sector or strategy? Well, uh, first of all, price target attainment. When a stock gets to where we feel it, it, its fair value is, we, we exit. That's number one. Number two is when things change, and things do change often in our sector, I think in particular, it changes, things change everywhere, but I think in particular in technology, things can change very dramatically and very fast. So um, we pay a lot of attention to uh, competitive dynamics. We speak to not only our holdings, but we speak to their competitors, their suppliers, their customers to try and gauge any change in um, competitive positioning as early as we possibly can. Um, and we will exit when things change for the worse, or we will at least review or, or reduce our position sizes, um, as you say. The third is mis-execution. So you have good technologies and you have good management teams, and they're not always the same thing. So quite often, we have management teams who, who fail to deliver for various reasons. Um, uh, there are management teams who, who are who, who show themselves to be disingenuous over time. There are management teams who um, show themselves not able to handle changes in, in, in the end markets. And so if there's a serious mis-execution, uh, we, we exit and we wait to review our investment and perhaps come back another day when we feel that management teams have found their footing. So I would say those are the kind of main catalysts for us to review or exit um, an investment. Excellent. So on, on that side of the exit strategy, I, I, I know that your team are, very, are really big on researching and also post-selection monitoring these particular selections of yours because it's so important regarding your you know, achieving alpha. So do you want to share how the team monitors, how much time is spent on that as well? Very much so. You know, I, I would say that that is substantially all of our time. You know, we, we read research, we speak to well, companies that we hold in our portfolio, we aim to speak to four times a year. 
So this is every quarter when they report, when we get the opportunity to speak to them. Um, and also companies in our pipeline, companies that we're looking to invest in, we try to speak to them at least two, three times a year. Um, and typically companies will be held in a pipeline for six, nine months before we pull the trigger. And so by then we, we would already know the company reasonably well. And yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, we also place a lot of value in speaking to their competitors and their suppliers and their customers, because as good and honest as the management team might be, you can't just take the word for, for what's going on. So you need to do your channel checks. So you need to be able to corroborate what they're saying um, with, with third parties. So we do a lot of that. We also love speaking to experts, um, especially when it comes to new technologies to understand the nuances of how this technology is being used, for example, um, and uh, the, the drawbacks of these new technologies, where, what are the things that need to be improved in order for things to uh, reach mass market, for example. So we do a lot of that. And finally, last but not least, sell-side analysts. Uh, they are a very useful source for us uh, for information and for knowledge because they have much better access to management teams and industry experts than we do. So it's very useful to stay in touch with them on a regular basis just to make sure that we pick up any changes um, in the end market environment or, or at the company level as soon as we possibly can. Excellent. Thank you for that for a reply. I really appreciate that. Now, across the three products, um, three largest holdings at the last check that I made were tech behemoths, Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet. Now, Ben Rogoff spoke in the last half year update um, about concentration risk. Mm -hmm. uh, please can you elaborate on this and why the team are very careful about this, both in the bear market and also in a bull market? Sure. Um, well, Apple, Microsoft and Alphabet, these are companies that are well known to you um, and hopefully to, to your audience, too. These are good companies. So to be very clear, yes, they are some of our biggest holdings in the trust, um, but we are underweight relative to our benchmark. That's sort of number one. Now, the point I wanted to make, first of all, is that we only hold them because we believe that they are good companies. So companies that we feel are maybe too far beyond the kind of the, the S curve that I talked about, you know, too far on the on the right, where we feel that they might struggle to reinvent themselves, uh, we will not hold regardless of, of benchmark weight. So um, I know these stocks actually have done reasonably well in the last year when market have been volatile, but we haven't held IBM in a very, very, very long time in the trust. Uh, same goes for Oracle, uh, same goes for Intel, actually. So not to say that we won't revisit these names, but at the moment, you know, we look at the potential that they can deliver compared to other opportunities elsewhere. You know, we just felt that they do not yet deserve a place in our portfolio. Apple, Microsoft and Alphabet, on the other hand, are very good companies that are still um, seeing very, very healthy top-line growth, and they're doing all the right things in terms of delivering earnings growth now. Each company will have its own nuance, and we can go into that if you if you like. But ultimately, we only hold them because they, we still believe that these are good companies that may be getting to the more mature side of the curve. In terms of concentration risk, 
I think that these companies have got so big now. They are big not only in our index. As I mentioned, you know, these are three of our biggest holdings, and yet we are very underweight compared to our benchmark. But they are also in global indices. They are in the MSCI World Index. They are in the S&P 500. So if you think about collectively, um, from our investors' perspective, you know, they, they might hold our fund um, plus a whole host of other products they probably end up owning much more Apple and Microsoft and Alphabet than, than they had intended to. So there is a risk of, you know, what if tomorrow Apple tells you that, well, smartphone units have gone into decline? What happens then? Um, yeah, so we are very conscious of the fact that it is it, it just cannot be right with all the exciting things that are happening within technology to have too much in... Um, invested in one, two, or three companies, regardless of how good they are, because that's not what we're here to do. You know, we're here to find the next big thing. Um, and in many ways, these are these should be the index constituents of the future, not index constituents of today. Um, so yeah, so we are trying to balance um, delivering a portfolio that that has reasonable growth rate with good quality companies, um, but they're also conscious of the fact that there is a concentration risk within the indices and the broader market. Brilliant. Fantastic reply. Thank you ever so much for that, Fatima. Now, you've been with Polar for um, around 17 years now, and I'm sure you and your team have deliberated and had many, many talks about this. I'm going to ask this question. Which particular company, and you can go into it as many nuances as you like, has provided the team the technology team with the most cheer over the over the years that you've been there the most cheer um well i don't know it depends on how you <laughs> what what you mean when you say cheer you know look we we have sorry please elaborate peter i was going to say with regards to value accretive value and also consistency as well because as you as you've mentioned in in the interview there are some companies that start off really really well but they don't actually continue on that curve and mm. um, yeah. growth yeah yeah. Well, you know, if you're talking about over a long period of time, you know, I have to say, coming back to Apple and Alphabet specifically, and, and Microsoft too, you know, those have been some of our longest term holdings and, and the results speak for themselves. These are good companies, which is why they still uh, feature so heavily in our portfolio, despite being on the more mature end of the adoption curve. So yeah, I would say from a compounding perspective, that's the other thing, you know, one of the important things is, is, is the ability to hold on to the winners um, and having consistent management teams, consistent results help, um, help, help you stay within the stocks. And, and those three probably are the ones that we would have um, made the most money out of um, over the last 15, 16 years. Um, that, that I've been sort of working within the team. But, you know, in terms of cheer and fun, we we have fun looking at lots and lots of different companies. You know, the, there are just as many, if not more lessons to be learned from the disasters um, than the winners. So, yeah, so I would say in pure number terms, those probably will be some of the best compounders that we've had. Um, but... In the shorter term, you know, we, we we have lots and lots of very interesting holdings that um, that have either made us money or lost us money. Thank you. Now, I, I want to touch on very briefly the, the newer fund um, that you and the team have um, started in October 2017. 
um, the Polar Capital Automation and Artificial Intelligence Fund. And since then, it's uh, annualized returns of around 6.4, 6.5. Now, Fatima, I've, he I've heard you on senior describe AI as a superset. Please, can you expand on its potential technology, technological importance going forward and why you see it as a superset AI? Yeah, I think the reason why we use that term is because, again, if you go back four or five years, um, go back four or five years, we were, you know, we would be asked by some of our investors to launch narrow themed funds. So quite often there'll be interest in um, a mobility fund or a 5G fund. And and uh, and we've always sort of stayed away from, from, from doing that because we ultimately don't believe that that's the best way to, um, to, to benefit from, from emerging technologies. Themes play out. Um, Again, going back to our adoption curve, we don't believe that you can just hold on to something forever. You know, things have to change when when you are right. Hopefully, when you're right about a technology or a theme, it takes off. But once it's done that, what what is next? What what is next? So we've always stayed away from launching narrow themed fund. However, AI is different. It is not a subset of technology. It is not a subsector of technology. It is we hope one day will prove to be a general purpose technology that can be used everywhere by everyone. Um, and well, ChatGPT, I don't know if you've had a chance to play with it. I mean, that certainly proves our point a little bit, which is that this can be much, much bigger and broader than, than, than any of these other technologies that we just talked about. Uh, so they're not comparable. So the reason why we launched that fund is because we think outside of core technology companies, and for sure, if you want to have um, exposure to artificial intelligence within a core technology products, there are lots of ways to do that. You can buy the semiconductor companies that supply the parts that help you build the large language models. Uh, you could try to invest in companies that build applications, APIs around it. Um, th there are ways, but if you didn't want to invest in technology companies? Are there other ways to benefit from AI? And our view is yes, absolutely. And perhaps even more opportunities um, to invest, to, to benefit from AI than within core tech. And the reason is that we think that there are many companies out there, industrial companies, primarily medical companies also, um, they are able to harness the power of AI to, to their own benefits. So either to expand addressable market, or to uh, improve their competitive modes, or to give themselves better pricing. Uh, we see a lot of opportunities for real, I call them real world companies, but I mean non-technology companies to do that. Um, and, and we think that creates a very, very interesting investment opportunity for us and, and for our investors. So that's why we launched a fund and that's why we describe AI as a superset. It is something that really could be used and should be used by, by everyone, not just technology companies. Um, we use this very silly example that um, if you think about Wi-Fi, when Wi-Fi first started proliferating, when it first started to become a, a commonplace, cheap and good technology that everyone can use, um, how would you play the proliferation of Wi-Fi? You can, of course, buy stocks in Cisco systems. They, they are the, the biggest maker, or they were the biggest maker of Wi-Fi boxes. Um, but you could also invest in Starbucks. Starbucks, by providing free Wi-Fi in all of the stores, became had turned themselves from what was kind of a high-end coffee shop 
to um, a, a quite a discretionary product. They have turned themselves into really this, this, this third space, this idea of a place outside of your office uh, and your home where you can sit and work and have meetings or have just some quiet thinking time um, where you would go on a regular basis um, and pay four pounds for a coffee without thinking too much about it. So, um, so we think about that as it, it's sort of quite a powerful phenomenon that, that often gets lost because people are so obsessed with, oh, the Wi-Fi box, who makes the, the better box, the faster box. But actually, there are lots of other companies who can benefit from, um, from, from the use of technology. So that's why we are excited about AI in particular and why we launched that fund about four years ago. Brilliant. Thank you for that response. Now, I, I noticed within that fund as well that you have UK-listed Relex um, as a holding within the fund. Um, please, can you tell us a little bit more about this company, which some of our investors should be aware of, and the qualities that enable this company to reach Polar's Capital's higher investment standards to qualify? Um, well, I can touch on it very briefly. Um, so this is, but this is a holding within our automation and AI fund and not within the investment trust. So I just wanted to be very clear about that. Um, look, we think there is plenty of opportunity for Relics to ingest AI into the core product, which is um, the Nexus Lexus, um, to really make it a product that has a superior ROI compared to, to what it is today. Uh, it is a market leader. It has effectively a, a monopoly in what it does. And, and yet, over the years, if you if you look at how they've operated, they, they have not really um, taken any pricing. Um, and it's because it was considered something that was um, not a revenue generator as such. So, so it was, it's always hard to get your customers to pay more for something that your customers don't view as a revenue generator. And we think AI could change that. Now we're early days in that. The company's doing, um, we think the company's, the company has a plan and, and we'll see if it plays out. We, we hope that it does. But um, we see lots of opportunities similar to that in the market for companies to, as I mentioned earlier, either in, expand your market, improve your competitive mode, or improve your, your pricing uh, if you're able to ingest AI in a, in, in, in a suitable way into your um, core product offering. Okie dokie, thank you for that. Now, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier. I'd like to move on now, if I may, to the Global Technology Fund. And please can you share, you said almost, you know, you've covered it basically there, um, theme and strategy around that. It's not dissimilar to the trust, but could you show some of the different nuances regarding that approach? Mm, yeah, sure. Um, so I would say if I were to sort of compare the trust and the global technology fund, I would say that the trust is perhaps a little bit more benchmark aware. We hold a longer list of names. Uh, we do hold some smaller names, less liquid names, um, mainly because it's a close-ended product. So if you can't do it in a close-ended product, where else would you do it? Uh, whereas in, in the open-ended fund, we are much more careful about the liquidity profile um, of that product. Uh, you know, we, we went through the 08, 09 cycle where technology and plus a whole lot of other things were, were out of favor and our investors wanted their money back. Um, and I think our ability to allow our investors to take the money back when they needed it has served us well because many of these investors ha have come back since when risk appetite returned 
Um, and we do believe that when you run an open-ended fund, that should be a key consideration. So I would say that that is probably the main, the, the two main differences. So um, the trust being more benchmark aware and have more ability to hold a longer list of stocks and smaller companies, less, li less liquid companies. Whereas with the Global Technology Fund, we try to stay very, very liquid. And it does have a shorter list of stocks. Um, and so I would say perhaps slightly higher beta than, than the technology trust. But otherwise, the fundamental philosophies remain the same. Thank you for that. That's a fantastic reply. Thank you. Now, one of your holdings in the Global Technology Fund is NVIDIA, um, which is a behemoth across several supersets and subsets. Um, what is yours and the team's present view of NVIDIA's potential and current valuation, if I may be so bold to ask? Well, we think that Leaving valuation aside, I think what investors, including ourselves, are very concerned or have been very concerned with is, of course, what's the global macro outlook and how would that impact NVIDIA's various revenue streams? I think from our perspective, we feel that um, the company has been reasonably proactive in bringing down expectations and they've been giving us a lot of information around the, the different parts, so you know, the, the exposure to gaming, for example, and cryptocurrencies, and um, and which enable us to model, I suppose, you know, our own have have our own view of where revenue is going to go from here. So the question is, what's going to be once that kind of correction, if you like, is is out of the way, what is the trajectory for the company at, over the medium term? And our view is, is as positive as ever, which is that having spent so much time talking about AI and NVIDIA is a key enabler of that. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have a positive view. You know, I, I can't share with you our valuation metrics per se or our price target, um, but we do believe that NVIDIA remains a very desirable um, and important technology asset. Um, but near term, I think that NVIDIA, with uh, many, many other companies, are going to have to contend with uh, a very uncertain macroeconomic environment. Um, and also what we've seen in the last couple of years, which is a lot of pull forward in, in PC, for example, um, that might have created some noise around um, the growth trajectory. So that all has to sort of wash out and normalize before you can see kind of the, the, the true growth again. Um, but other, and so, you know, near term, I think we're still going to be working through that uh, as we go into this earnings season. But apart from that, you know, we we do, we are believers in, in NVIDIA's competitive positioning going forward. Thank you for that, I really appreciate it. Now, Fatima, you've covered most of it, but I'd like you to take this opportunity to reiterate to our listeners what aspects of investing really matters to you as a fund manager within the team? Well, so I think number one is, you know, the reason why I love this job and have been doing it for so long is, is this opportunity, the ability to, to learn new things every day. You know, every day we're learning about new technologies um, or, or new companies, as well as something in the financial markets. And, and how things interact with each other, how they're all interconnected. Um, so every day you are learning. And I just think that is that is um, a great thing to be spending time on. Um, but then specifically within technology, again, um, at the risk of sounding a bit cheesy, I do believe 
in technology's ability to do good. Um, technology, in most parts, I think, helped democratize things. Um, it, it puts power in the hands of, of, of many rather than few. And again, I, I know there are definitely contradicting data points there, but by and large, I, I still think it's a great enabler and leveler. And if you think about the, the kind of issues that we are all having to contend with over the medium term, you know, I'm thinking about wage inflation and climate change. Um, I think technology has a big part to play in all of that. It's not the silver bullet uh, by no means, but I think that technology really can help um, deliver solutions that, that will drive us forward. So that's why I'm in this job. You know, I, I love, I, I think investing is a, a great thing to be doing because of the learning opportunities um, and the great conversations that I have uh, with, with everybody within the ecosystem and, and technology specifically. Wow. Just a very, very exciting space to be. Indeed. And um, the International Energy Agency infused in a recent article, the world is entering a new age of clean technology manufacturing and countries industrial strategies will be key to its success. Do you obviously agree? <laughs> if so, which clean technology companies are you and Polar Capital looking closely at and or have already invested in? So again, trying to stay away from specific stocks, um, okay. which I'm afraid I've been told to do. Um, but look, across technologies, there are there are so many technologies that will help green our um our world that, that actually have been exist have existed for a long time you know these are not necessarily new technologies so i think about semiconductor companies for example as in when we electrify um, our auto fleet a lot of semiconductor companies will benefit uh, or companies that that uh, make um, novel materials that now um, are much more attractive um, than they had been previously because of the um, urgency, the impetus to uh, reduce energy consumption, for example. And technology, in, and technology in general is always trying to do more with less. That is the premise of technology. So automating things, um, using things more efficiently. So there, there are lots and lots of ways to invest. And of course, uh, renewable energy is something that uh, it's actually one of the first areas that I looked at when I joined Polar in 2006. And, and of course, I hadn't needed that knowledge for a very long time because that kind of whole solar space went through a boom-bust cycle, as, as many technologies do. Um, and yet today, uh, they these solar, solar and wind power are very competitive uh, from a pricing perspective. Um, and so adoption is, is accelerating again, you know, off quite a high level. So there are lots and lots of things happening within the technology space that um, actually have been sort of happening in the background for a long time, but have definitely been accelerated by recent um, events and, and uh, the changing view, I think, around climate, um, out the climate impetus, if you like. Thank, thank you for that. I'm, I'm going to change things up slightly now um, and just ask you if, you, if I may, to share a little bit about your personal investing style and where do you invest um, your your savings for the long term uh, mm. Fatima? sure um so i don't do a lot of single stock investing um but i am heavily heavily invested in our own funds all three of our funds i am an investor of um because i i am a believer like i said earlier it it, it sounds 
cheesy, but I believe in technologies. Um, and then outside of that, as you could imagine, I um, also I'm also invested in other things that are aligned with with these core values that I hold, such as things that enable betterment, things that grow the pie. So it, it wouldn't surprise you if I tell you that I have investments in things that are related to technology, such as healthcare and biotechnology and, and, and all that stuff. Um, now, I also invest in a lot of funds at Polar. Now, I have the benefits of knowing the managers who run these products. So I, I guess, you know, I have a bit of an advantage there. I see them around all the time. I get to talk to them about their views um, of the world all the time. So that's why I feel comfortable investing um, in, in so many other polar funds, despite the fact that it, it does appear to create some kind of concentration risk. Um, but, you know, within polar, we have such a wide range of fund now. You know, I do, I do manage to find products that give me di diversification away from uh, technology. So things that give me access to areas that are hard to access as a technology investor, such as emerging markets, for example. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what I do. It's quite a pro-growth portfolio if you like um but that's what i believe in i'm a growth investor and um and so i i think that this is the right way to go no thank, thank you for that that's part and parcel of why we're doing these these interviews we're, we want to get access to yourself and other people within the polar team so that our listeners can get a, a little bit of an edge in educating themselves as to what funds are out there how can i become a, a better investor and just educate them. And I think that's brilliant that you have that access to other members of your team as well. Thank you for that. Now, you, you're, you're a mum of two, you've got two young children. Um, have you started investments for them? And if so, are they also polar capital investors yeah. as well? Yes, I'm afraid that they are. They don't have a choice at oh, the moment. Good. They are <laughs> they are eight and three. So um, when the time comes, they can make their own decisions. But right now, I'm afraid it is just what I say. Um, yes, but very much so, very much so. Excellent. Now, I've got a, a, a final question for you. It's a fun one. We've, you've already touched on a, a word that I'm using here as well, which is about betterment. Now, Fatima, I would like to bestow upon you the powers to change something, anything that would enable, enable technological advancements for the betterment of your children and the whole population of this planet we call Earth. What would you change, do, and why? Oh, gosh. Um... to enable betterment for my, well, you know, I have to say that two of the biggest issues that I fear for my children, you know, not necessarily in my lifetime, but certainly for my children would be uh, climate and demographics. And those are very difficult things to change, unfortunately. Things difficult to turn around, not impossible. So if I were to have a power to change something, you know, I would really accelerate technologies that could help um, improve our chances of um, turning these areas around. So within climate, it's easier to talk about climate than demographics, I suppose, as a technology investor, because there are so many things happening. So we talked about solar and wind, but outside of that, we've got energy storage that's going to be very important. Hydrogen, I think very promising personally, but it's going to take a long time, a lot of capital um, to, to get going. So if I were to have the power to um, help these companies accelerate 
the technology development. You know, I, I know that um, nuclear is is now has been in the press a lot. You know, if I could have the power to really help them get over the line, that would be great. I think those are the things. And demographics, I don't know. I think there's a lot of really cool health tech companies out there um, that could help. You know, it won't necessarily help change birth rates or death rates, but it certainly can help more people live a, a longer, healthier life and, and, and have their lives be more sort of productive for longer, that could help alleviate some of the demographic pressure on, on many, many countries. So I guess if I were to have the magical wand that I could wave to help some of these companies accelerate their progress, um, that's probably what I would do. Brilliant. I absolutely love that response. Fatima. Thank you ever so much for that. I'm going to close this um, interview with you with a quote, if I may. Um, and it's a quote from Polar Capital CEO that you know very well, Gavin Rocheson. Um, Polar Capital is an investment-led, integrated, multiple multi-boutique that is a boutique in itself. It is a specialist active fund management business with whose culture is characterized as meritocratic and collaborative. The real strength of Polar Capital is its specialist focused investment teams who have their own autonomous investment process and philosophy. Now, we've had the pleasure today of hearing from you, Fatima, a usually talented fund manager and a vital member of that Polar Capital Technology Investment Team. Fatima, thank you ever so much. Um, take care and God bless you. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Investing Matters. Be sure to check out the London Southeast website for free tools and info to research your next investment. You can also join in the conversation on our social media channels. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more content, including our CEO interviews. Catch you next time.